Oh, hey, good evening, everybody. How are we doing? So, um, you might have seen, I sent, uh, had an email sent this morning just to, like, clarify that. I realized as I was putting together this last piece that we weren't going to cover all of Bitachon and the second half of Shkaka Pradesh in the same shir. Um, and it'd be a bad idea. So I figured we'll just, we'll just extend it. So we'll do the second half of Shkaka Pradesh tonight, and then we'll start next week and Munin Bitachon, and the last week we'll do the question about when belief is hard. Um, so, fine. So just, just to remind us where we are, basically, we argued that there are basically two approaches, um, two major approaches to the question of how Shkach HaPratis works. Right? What's, who has specific divine intervention? And the first approach we saw in source number one was not only the Ramchal, but also the Rambam, the Ramban, the Sforno, etc., who made the argument that um, there is specific divine intervention, what we call Ashkacha Pratis, specifically for human beings and not for animals. Within that, within that distinction, we said not only is it human beings and not animals, even within human beings, only specific human beings possibly, right? Those who are doing that which Hashem wants in them, whether that means that they are, you know... Uh, only Hasidim, like the Ramban said, or maybe the Sforno said, they're awake to what they're supposed to do in the world, but some type of like even, you know, farther narrowing in terms of who gets that specific Hashem this. Um, but then we said, in terms of widening it, that even though animals and other inanimate objects don't have Hashem this, all of a sudden, if they, if they are somehow impacting a human being, all of a sudden, now they do, so, right? Sorry, quick question. Yeah, just right? clarify, yeah. Right. What is their take on everybody else's relationship with Akhara's or, or, or lack thereof? Well, that everyone else has the opportunity. I mean, that, that's sort of the point that we got <laughs> to towards the end. The Ramban, that everyone has the opportunity. But until they do, meaning all the Bainonim, right. which is all of us, except right. for the selected few, right. those people who hold this are saying what about our relationship with Akhara's Because I'm assuming I'm a Bainonim. Right. I'm assuming that I'm so, one so of the few people that they're talking about. Right. So what would they say is my, my relationship with Hashem if there's no Hashem in my life? Right. So according to what we're arguing possibly within the Rambam and the Ramban and the Sforno, right, who wanted to say that Hashem practice is only for the select group, what about the rest of us? So that was sort of what we got to at the end last time, which is that even the Ramban agreed that, first of all, that it can shift different parts at times in my life, right, depending where I am, and that and also Rabbi Leibowitz, I think, who created this kind of more expansive approach in the sense that we, um, you know, what does it mean that someone's doing their job in the world? Do you have to be one of the, one of the Lama Vav Tzadikim? Probably not. A person who is you know, interested in trying to find a Kaddish Baruch and do what God wants from us, which I think is a lot more people maybe than, than we necessarily can recognize and realize. Um, that's, that's A. Um, in terms of, I'm trying to remember what we said last time. I'm trying to remind myself. But in terms of, I think we said something else also towards the end, if I remember correctly, um, in terms of even expanding a little bit further, that, that even, yeah, we talked about this other point, that, that what, is, what is chance? Right? What is victory? Right. And we're going to talk about that as we move on to the more expansive approach also. But even mikra according to the Ramban and others, is probably not exactly happenstance, right? More than how Shpurahu is continuing, I think Gary pointed out, right, that we, the, 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 the scariest idea is that the Yavoshalom like turns away from us, right? right? But that the idea that Kosh Shpurahu, even if he allows, quote, nature to take us, could we, could we point it out that, that the Ramban says there really is no nature, right? That God sets up everything. Um, and that even if God, let's say, decides not to intervene, it's not because he has, he's still deciding not to intervene. Right, so God is still there for those people. Let's say those people who are not in at all. Let's say, but nevertheless, He may not He may not step in, but it doesn't mean He's walked away from them. Right. So there's, but but yes, as we pointed out, that for some people, uh, that approach to the Ramban and the Rambam, etc., could be very scary. On the other hand, for some people, that could be more comforting. Right, that God isn't. Because we're going to see the up the opposite approach tonight. Which for some people is very heartwarming, and on the other hand, depending on what you're going on, going on, going, going on in your life right now, 
could be very upsetting, right? So, we're in, so there's kind of a place for everybody kind of in, 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 on two sides of each one. But yeah, Daniel. What about, what about uh, the Doros, like children and, and you know, Abraham, you know, he's guaranteed that his children, children right. his so, descendants, and not only that, they were going to have Ashtaka while they were in Mitzrayim. They were descendants as a right. 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 Um, someone asked me, by the way, to like read that in the recording. Sometimes they can't hear the questions, so I'm going to repeat your questions sometimes, even though you guys can all hear them. Um, so, 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 Dan, you're asking, what, what about the, you know, what's going to happen in generations? Where you're saying they don't have? What do you mean in terms of overseeing Am Yisrael? If, if a tzaddik is zochet to his children earning that kind of hashkafa, right? Concept like that. Look, we definitely have concepts of when children follow in the way of their parents who are tzaddikim. So there's a certain like higher level than, but it's still going to be your. It's still your. But th- th- but there would be a difference between general species hashgacha or general nation hashgacha, right? Versus individual hashgacha. Meaning, so God may have a plan for the Jewish people, and we're going to get to that as we move along tonight. God may have a plan for the Jewish people as a whole, and that might explain why He does X or Y or Z that don't necessarily fit for the individual, but for the cloud that's necessary and things like that. And therefore, there could be times when God protects Amishol as a whole, even though he may not protect that individual baby who was killed by an Egyptian in, in Egypt. Right? So, so you're right. But that probably is more Hashkacha clawless than this Hashkacha process. It's more of a generalized Hashkacha than a, than a specific individual. Okay. Um, uh, right. And, and, the, and the last point that we... That we that we pointed, pointed out, even within this, you know, more limited Hashkacha Pratis uh, construct, was the idea that um, it's up to us, in a certain sense, how much Hashkacha we get. Right? That because it is dependent on how much we turn turn to Kadosh Baruch Hu, Kadosh Baruch Hu turns towards us. We mentioned this quote from Eretz right? That it's sort of the job we think of Hashkacha Pratis as how God takes care of me, as whereas the Rav sees it as, and really clearly the Ramban and others see it as. How much I turn towards Rebona Shalom is how much he's going to turn back to me. It's a relationship. So if, I, if I'm looking for that coverage, so I better go find it. Um, and that explained why we thought that Ashrei was such an important tefillah. Because Ashrei, the central feature of Ashrei is, that Hashem opens up and feeds. He, he takes care of us. And so the reason why we focus so much on Ashrei before we daven is because davening in the end of the day, what's it really doing? It's that opportunity to reach out to HaKadosh Baruch Hu and say, look, I recognize that you you're, play a role in my life. And the more we recognize that and show him that we recognize the role he plays in our life, the more he will play that role in our life. Right? And that's how we kind of um, ended, ended last week. Fine. So now, I promised Yoni that we were going to get to the, to, the, to the approach that you like better, right? Which is what, what they refer to in the, in the literature uh, as the more expansive approach. This is a much newer approach, even though it's sourced in much earlier sources. Someone pointed out to me uh, and fairly, and, uh, a fair point that in the conversation we had last week, we spent very little time talking about psukim, gemaras, mamari chazal, that, that supported the views of the Rambam and the Ramban. Um, I think what we did see is that even the Rambam and the Ramban, certainly the Ramban, I think we saw, has psukim, which he's using as his source, right? He talks about what Hashem was saying about Avraham. Avraham's going to be my, my guy, who I need to take care of. And so Ramban, you know, pulls from there some of these concepts. But we didn't see a lot of Gemaras. And what we're going to see tonight is a number of Gemaras and Midrashim that um, many, and primarily the followers of the Baal Shem Tov, not only, also the Vilna Gon, and we're going to see others. It's, a, it's, a, it's an approach that is, is most... Um, readily associated with the Hasidic world, but it's not only the Hasidic world. Um, and it's going to be a, a different approach than we've seen until now. So take a look um, already in the Gemara and Chulin on Dav Zayn. The Gemara and Chulin is the third source on your page. The Gemara and Chulin says as follows I remember learning a Gemara like this. There's a Gemara like this in Brachos also when I was like in eighth grade. I still remember this and like being confused. A person does not injure his finger below on earth unless they declare about him on high that he should be injured. Meaning, every time I stub my toe, the Rebbe Shalom was goes there. Hashem made a decree that I'm going to 
kick and stub my toe on something and it's going to hurt. That was decided by the Rebbe Shalom. Okay? Um, that's one Gemara. Okay? That one doesn't necessarily... That, that's specific enough on the one hand, right? But that at least is about a person. It's about a human being, at least, right? So that, even the Ramban, maybe could explain that Gemara to mean the Hasidim, the people who ha- are Zoha to divine intervention. So those are the individuals who get who have this, this Gemara is referring to. But take a look at the next Gemara. The next, next is a, it's a marriage in Bracious Rabbah. It's also Gemara. That tells the following. Source number four. Says the Medjus. Rishimim by Nurchai. Rebbe Lazar Bered. Rishimim by Nurchai and his son Rebbe Lazar. Havu Timirin b'marasa. Yur Gimel Shara. So they were hiding in a cave for 13 years. They were hiding from the Romans who had outlawed Torah study and they hid there for 13 years right, during the time of Shemad when they were not allowed to uh, keep the halacha so what happens they, how did they eat so they had a, a miracle happen to them and they had a carob tree inside the, the cave and they had a stream of water and that's how they lived for 13 years next time your kids complain about dinner and after 13 years, Nafuk Yosef Altara Marasa. So they went out after 13 years and sat at the entrance to the cave. Chad Sier Kayim Vitsaid Sipurin. They saw a hunter who was hunting birds. He heard a, a sound and a voice from Shemayim. Amra min Shemaya Dimus Dimus. Pasca. So when you hear the, 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 the voice in Shemayim saying, free, free, right? let the bird go free, what would happen? The bird would escape the trap. And he would live. And if you would hear the heavenly voice say, death to the bird, what would happen? The bird would be trapped and it would be captured. Okay. So what happens? Amar Tsipor mi Baladei Shemaya lo mitzdada alachas kam vakama nefesh tebarnash. Shemunayichai said, if a bird, if the, if the, if the, you know, um, destiny to live or to die of a bird is dependent on the Rebona Sholem and a, a gzera, the declaration from Shemayim, so certainly it's true by a human being. Fine. So, Bring to me a problem with this, this measure based on what we've talked about last week or based on this first approach we mentioned already today. Does it distinguish exotic from, you know, this is a little This is everybody. This is a bird. It's an animal. Right? It's a bird. Right, the first Right, right, right. The first Gemara makes no distinction right, between any type of person. Any person can get Hashachah Pratis. Any person who stubbed their toe from the greatest sonic in the world to the worst person in the world can stub their toe, and that's from Shemayim. Now we have a Gemara that says, a bird is the destiny of one bird is determined by who? By HaKadosh Baruch Hu. That Hashem decides if a bird lives or a bird dies, which doesn't go so great with the very, very first thing we mentioned last week, the story of the wildebeests, right, running, running around, and, and one cheetah grabs one wildebeest, so who cares? Well, this is right? more, like, maybe more like their pet. Ah. Good. So, so what could you argue? You could, you could explain this medrash even for the Ramban. Right? Because what could you say? We said before that a, that a, that a, a you're right, a human being gets Hashkaka Pratis and an animal or an inanimate object does not unless it affects a human being. So a hunter goes out and he's trying to get food. Right? So he hunts the bird. The determination of whether or not he's going to be successful in the hunt depends on Shemayim. That's, that's Hashkaka Pratis. And why? Because it depends on me. So you could have read this registration and said, it's not a problem, it doesn't bother me. This is fine. This fits very nicely into the box we've already set up in the classical approach, which is, as long as it's affecting a human being, so then already, there's Rosh Chakaprates even on animals. Fine. However, not everyone reads the Medrash that way. If you look in source number three, there's a translation from a sefer called Yachel Or. Yachel Or is a sefer from the Vilna Gon. Translation here is from Rabbi Leibowitz's book, source number five. And he writes as follows. Even the way of nature on Hagas HaTeva is directly controlled by God's judgment and divine providence. 
Why? For a man does not jam his finger below unless it was so, unless it was so decreed in heaven. And even a bird is not trapped without a decree from above. However, nature is the messenger of this heavenly decree. For when it's decreed that this one will become wealthy and this one destitute, God arranges it that this one misplaces his money and this one finds it. He does not cause a miracle that money is instantly generated for one person. And for the other, the money floats away to heaven. This is nature, right? God doesn't make overt miracles, right? If, I, if God wants to hand me um, $500, so he gives me a refund from the insurance company or he, or he uh, you know, whatever he does. If he wants to take away my money, what does he do? He makes uh, the timing belt in my car stop working and it costs me whatever it costs me, right, to, to fix. Right? He doesn't have to literally magically remove money from my bank account or magically place it there. He has his ways through nature. If you're laughing, it's because it happens to you like it happens to me, right? All the time. So the, so the, 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 um, the mechanisms through which God shows his hashgacha are natural, says the Gra, but they're all hashgacha pratis, but it's Hashem's making a choice. As a parable, a king sits in his palace and from his vantage point can see a man and animal off in the distance. He can send wheat food to the man through a series of different schemes and barley food to the animal in a similar fashion. They only see the cause immediately preceding their reception of food. And they think this visible reason is the sole reason for their received food. So too, the king may have a trap set. And when the time arrives, the king sets off the trap and the passerby is caught by the neck and dies. The fool imagines that an unfortunate accident has occurred to him. But this too is simply nature bringing about poisonous food. Right? So meaning the point is that anyone can set anything up. God has, God has his way to set these things up. And once he does, then we see nature took its course. Biology took its course. Whatever it is, in the, in the natural world, nevertheless, says the Gra, there's no reason to argue that's not all such Yeah. Is it, is it the opinion of the Gra, let's say, when he talks about this, and let's say, as you say, your timing belt goes and it costs you $500. Is it costs $900. $900. $900. Okay. <laughs> is it necessarily connected to, it's Hashem's Ashkafakratis, but is it necessarily, necessarily a punishment? Or is it something that is independent of Sarah Onesh and, and could have another motivation for God to do this to you that has nothing to do with Sarah Onesh, or is it inherently coupled with that? Yes. Right. So the question is, is that, does that mean it's Sarah Onesh? I must have done something wrong? And that's why so God hits me with the 900 bucks? Or is there some other process that can be... So the answer is, we don't know. Right. Uh, we don't know. And there are multiple, there are, there are multiple, I think that's something I mentioned at the way beginning last time, right? That there are still other ways through which good things and bad things can happen to us, right? There's, there's the Yusur and Sha'ava, that God allows bad things to happen to people who are perfect and done nothing wrong in order to cleanse them so they don't have to go through problems in Lama Ba. So why he does it and how he does that is a whole different conversation, right? So, so it could be, but could it be? I, we, I, have this, I ask this question myself all the time. You know, like, maybe I should have given a little more tzedakah last month, and the Kodesh Baruch wouldn't have made my car have a... Whatever. And, and do I know? I don't know. I don't know the answer. But is it... Right, but is it possible? It's possible. It's possible. That's part of what the girl is arguing. There is, and, and certainly, others, who we're going to see in a moment, who talk about the concept, do talk about it from a schar of owner's perspective, which is a little bit difficult also because there's a Gemara that says that schar mitzvah b'hai amaleka. You don't get reward for mitzvahs in this world. Real rewards are in Allah Mabba. So, you know, let's not talk about, it for the one, talk about that for one second. Um, and I'll come to your question. The, 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 the Gemara says that there's no reward for mitzvahs in this world. So, the, so everyone asks, so that's, that's true. So why does the Torah offer rewards? Right? If, if you do mitzvahs, what's going to happen? The rain's going to fall, and the, the brachos and the kolodos, right? So the Rambam answers that question. The Rambam basically says... It's a Rambam you mentioned, I think, in the first year. The Rambam says, yeah, it's like a concept of schar mitzvah mitzvah, right? If you do what Hashem asks of you, so what does God do? He makes it possible for you to be able to do more mitzvahs, right? He's going to give you, if you do well, you're spending your time on the right things and having good mitos and etc., etc. So what does he do? In theory, he hands you more money. Why? Because I'm going to have more money. Uh, I don't have to work as hard. And I can, again, continue to use my time for the right things. If I don't do that, it maybe makes it more difficult for me, etc., Again, that's a, a theoretical construct. I'm not, that's not saying that for this person it happens for that reason. We, we, can't, we can't possibly make that argument. We don't know. But in terms of a construct, that's sort of how the Rambam understands that the Tzachar Onesh in Olam Azeh is the 
As, and, and by the way, it makes perfect sense what we spoke about a little bit last time, that the, that the, the hashkacha practice comes for a person who is doing that which Hashem is asking of him or her. Right? If I'm doing the things that God wants from me, so God says, good, so you're on my team, so I'm going to help you through. Or you're doing the things that you're supposed to do in the world, so God says, okay, so I'm going to make sure that you get a little extra protection because you're doing the things that I want to see happen in this world. Right? You've shown yourself to want to be a part of that team. So, so if that's true, then again, it makes sense. It's not just simply, uh, you know, gishmak, now I can like, you know, I get an extra vacation. But it's that Hashem provides for me the tools I need to continue doing the things He's asking of me. So that's like the question of, is this a, a reward and punishment um, set up? It, it is, according to many, but it's not the, that's not the only part of the scorecard, unfortunately. Um, so or I shouldn't say unfortunately, maybe fortunately. But there, there are other questions at, at play. Yisur and Sha'ava, God's ultimate plans, right? There's something called Hanhaga um, Sayachi, they talk about like how Hayichur, that Hashem has certain plans for bringing his name into the world, and how's he going to do that, right? Which is sort of the point of the world. It's another like, you know, Kabbalistic idea, which I don't know anything about, but I've heard about it. Um, so the, my point is, there are other things at play, and like I said, I think from the beginning of this, we're never going to be able to say we know why this is happening, but. This is an opportunity to try to understand the constructs, at least. Yeah, what do, what do you want to say? I don't know if this is, this is going to be really heretical. Now. Yeah. <laughs> heretical? That's what it's we're doing. That's what we're doing. This is all about heresy. Okay, but so God is this godly being that, that doesn't have, certainly doesn't have any physical characteristics. Correct. He better not. And you better not think he does, right? As we said in the first year. And, yeah. and my point, we don't think he has any... Um, Feelings or emotions. Feelings, emotions, personality, yes. sense of humor, any correct. of these things. God definitely has a sense of humor. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> so, okay, yeah, okay, yeah. So, no, correct. So correct. This, sounds, this is sounding like, like, you know, God is sitting up there with little play pieces, and he's saying, okay, today, hmm, Benny Crone. All right, time emails. I'm going to get you time emails. Right. And then tomorrow, like, oh, I'm going to make you stub your toe. Uh, let's see what I can do to you. Oh, now I'm going to make you win the lottery. And it's like, it's like this game. And he's just controlling and just like, all right, I gotta do something bad to Benny Crone today, so timing belt, yeah, okay, that's good. Or, yeah. right, you could say it that way, or you could say, God, who is infinitely wise and, can, and has the ability to see everything in real time at every moment and knows what's gonna happen before and after, says to himself, you know, this person stepped out. Right? And like a, like a parent says to the, sees a child who steps out of line, if we're good parents, or we try at least, right? So what do we do? We look to try to find a way to help them back, back in the right direction, right? Because I, I know that the child, I want the child... We have mental characteristics that... Uh, so, we're, we're correct, so God has them even greater than we do. God, you're right, we can't describe okay, God as having a sophistication and wisdom. It makes you stub your toe, because, I mean, it's just like... It's like, it's like what bo- what it's bothers like you about it? It's like he's playing a video game, and like, I don't know, what should I do today? Oh, it's a, you know, it's a quiet day. Let me, let me make somebody stubs toe. Let me make somebody get hit by a car. Let but that's if God's doing it to spite us or to have fun with us. We're arguing is that not that God does it to have fun with us or to, like, to like mess, or mess with us, but that it's to, it's to correct us, right? to send us in the right direction, to, give us, to send us messages. Every friend likes to say this. Listen to your messages. Right. Right? It's so like it's the, I'm supposed to recognize what's happening in my life, and hopefully... Again, it doesn't mean that I recognize it. The Ramam always writes this also. It doesn't mean that I, 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 something happens in my life and I say, oh, it must be because I did X. And that's why, that's why I'm not like a checking mezuzahs guy. You know that? I always it say that. I'm not into checking mezuzahs. That, that, that's hocus pocus, right? I am into, and the Ramam says this, if something difficult is happening in a person's life, you ask yourself, so not why did it happen, but how do I respond? How do I, wh- there's something I can take away from this. We're going to talk about this more as we move along, but... There's a, the purpose of understanding the constructs is that I can say to myself, there's a God who is involved in the world. Whether it's like the Ramban in a more general sense for most of the world and in a more specific sense for us in different ways at different times. Or as we see the Hasidim say, every leaf that falls off a tree is because of God decided it. Like but it's a close call. Like let's, you know. Yeah. Oh my God, that car almost killed me. Right. But I just, so, what, so what's my response? Oh, that was just random? Or is my response, maybe that experience happened to me so I could learn something from it, be more appreciative of the time I have with my children, be more appreciative of the, opportunity, the minutes I have in my day and spend them doing things that are more meaningful, right? If I, if I start seeing the world in a different way, I will use my life in a different way. So that's not God messing with me. That is God teaching me. 
which is, I think, much more profound. Even though God's not a teacher, God doesn't have, doesn't have wisdom, God doesn't have a brain, but he has much greater than that. A little bit? Where does he more? So when your timing belt breaks, it's comes through the Tobin, there's got to be something... But it depends on how I react to it. Right? It's up to me to make a decision and to, th- and to think when those things happen to me. But yeah. I, I don't know. What? I will ask, well, why is it sometimes we try to do things better and God actually makes things worse? Right? We, we, a person can be ill. A person can have financial trouble. Like, and, they, and they say, okay, so now I'm going to start going to minion every single day and I'm going to start learning all day and I'm going to... Right? I'm, not, I'm not arguing that we have the answer to that. We do not have the answer to that question. Right? There are too many other factors as to why God can make certain decisions that we don't understand. I'm not arguing that we know why. We do not know why. And we do not know how. But the point is that there is still a construct that God is around and God is there and God plays a role. Again, if you're the Ramban, you could argue right, that, that for some people, something negative can happen to them and God just didn't step in, right? allowed it to go, right? rather than God actually controlled it. The, the Hasidim are going to say it very differently. Um, so let, but let, let's keep moving so we can actually see the Hasidish approach and then we'll be able to, I think, um, play this more. This is, this is complicated, right? It's complicated and it's complex and it's emotionally challenging because we all have things in our life that are more positive and all have things in our life that are more negative. And it's hard to take these and say, well, is that because we have to, that's kind of um, why I kind of made that introduction in the last year to remind ourselves that we are not arguing that we know why because we can't, we can't, anyone who says they know why. Uh, after Hurricane Sandy, Rabbi, I was teaching at TABC still, Rabbi Adler got up and he said, I think there were some crazy people who were making claims as to why they knew why Hurricane Sandy happened, this, this Avera and that Avera, whatever. And he said, if any teacher would get up in class and say they know why Hurricane Sandy happened, he said, I would fire them on the spot. And Adler meant it. Because right? that's not, we don't do that. We don't pretend we know why. We don't know why. Um, but nevertheless, we try to understand the construct as best as all help. Okay. So, so, there are, so the, the, the point is that the Vilna Gon takes these two, these two Mamari Chazal and says, and says, see, God controls every single aspect of the world. I don't stub my toe, a bird doesn't die, nothing happens without the Ribbon Shalom. In fact, they say about the Baal Shem Tov that someone once asked him, how do you know, you know how God controls the world? And they, and, and because the Baal Shem Tov had said, any leaf that falls off a tree, that's because God determined that that leaf will fall off a tree. So someone said to him, to the Baal Shem, they said, how do, how do you know? Like, what? Why? why would God? So he says, follow them. So the guy went, he went to the, to the, to the forest, and he, and, he, and he waited and waited, and he saw a leaf fall off a tree, and he followed the leaf. And it went down a stream, and eventually it followed and followed and followed, until it finally hits a certain place, and a little worm comes, and it starts to eat the leaf. He goes back to the Baal Shem Tov. He goes, I watched. I, 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 the worm, he ate a leaf. I don't have to tell you. He goes, look what Yerushalem does. What Hashem does for, for a worm. Okay. That's what the Baal Shem Tov believed. Okay. Um, there were those, though, who attacked this approach. Of David Luria lived in Lithuania in the 1850s, late, mid, mid to late 1800s. Sorry, early to mid late 1800s. Argued that this measure doesn't teach me anything. What we mentioned before. It just says the same thing we've said all along. This animal is helping a person. This, is not a, this doesn't prove to me anything that, that God is involved in every single aspect of our lives. Nevertheless, if Tzadok could call him Lublin, if you've in Eibschitz, in, in, uh, in uh, his Sefer Yaros Dvash, all use this medrash to support this more expansive approach that every single thing that happens in the world, in nature, is determined and ordained by a Kaddish Baruch um, even argues that the Ramban would agree with him. He makes that argument. The Ramban even would agree with such a concept. Keep on going even further. Take a look now in source number six, which is a statement called Shomer Emunim by of Aaron Rath, who was the, 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 the Rav of the Toldos Aaron Hasidim. And he writes as well. It once happened that... Uh, Take a look. It's the same story I told you from the Baal Shem Tov. Once happened to the holy scholar, our teacher, the Baal Shem Tov, may his merit serve as a protection for us. That's in Hebrew. Zechuso Yagein Aleinu, they say about the Chassidim, say about the Rebbes, was in a field with his students. 
all of a sudden a strong wind blew and many leaves fell, off, fell from the trees into the ground. The Baal Shem Tov said, My sons, know that this wind that just passed this instant was due to a specific worm that was situated on one of those leaves. The sun was shining particularly strongly on this worm and the worm cried out to God. God sent this wind which blew many leaves to the ground and this leaf with the worm was one of those leaves. This is a different story about the leaves and the worm. Right, but another, that's how the Baal Shem Tov understood. Baal Shem Tov was a very sophisticated person. And it wasn't a, right? And this is how he believed and understood this, the way the world runs. Take a look at how Rabbi Ari Leibowitz in his Sefer HaShach this wants to explain. Another story. This expansive view championed by the followers of the Baal Shem Tov has been passionately promulgated in our times with extremely strong declarations. A series of anonymously authored pamphlets was distributed in Jerusalem in 1992 titled Ani Ma'amin, addressing issues of faith from a Hasidic perspective. And the third pamphlet subtitled Bezos Ani Botayach, the author quotes an incredible statement in the name of Simcha Banim Peshischa. Once the Rebbe Rabbanim Peshischa, may his merit serve as a protection for us, was taking a stroll with his followers through a field. During the stroll, he threw himself to the ground and picked up one grain of sand. He raised it in the air and then returned it to the same spot on the ground. He then said, He who doesn't believe that this grain of sand needs to be specifically in this spot, due to the specific individual divine providence of God, is considered a heretic. God forbid. Okay, that's how strongly these followers of this approach felt about this approach. What's the problem with that argument that anyone who doesn't believe it is a heretic? Like... Like the Rambam. <laughs> right. So like the Rambam. So it's a, it's a hard argument to make that this is my way or the highway on this approach because we know that there are some very, very, very wise Jewish thinkers who we talk about all the time and we quote all the time who are not heretics, um, who themselves decided what makes someone a heretic, right? And they don't believe this. Or at least we don't think they believe this. The Rambam, the Ramban, the Sforno, the Ramchal, Right? They, they all say, not like this. This is not correct. This approach is not right. So, um, so it, it's, it's a hard one to, to understand. The, by the way, this is also, this is throughout the Chazir, the Munkai Cherebi, the Alta Rebbe, the the first Lubavitcher Rebbe, all uh, took this approach. What does, what does it help with, though, just by the way? You know, we, we have answers to the questions of the bird flying in the sky and it's stubbing your toe. But there are a lot of other Gemaras like that. I was talking about things that happen to a person and must be that Hashem decreed it as such. So what works for them is that they can read those Gemaras plain. They don't have to give a parish. They don't have to explain away how those Gemaras work because they're just saying exactly what they, what they argue. And they would say, we've been saying this the whole time. Right? That's a very simple explanation of these types of Mamari Chazal are exactly what they want to argue they are. That Hashem controls every single detail. And there's nothing to be talked about in terms of having to explain it away. Yeah? No, there's no riot here. They're just saying this on authority. Correct. Correct. I'm saying their riot is the date, the Nagish Rabba, the Marna Kulin. It's not the Rambam to explain. What? It's on them, not the Rambam to explain. You cited Gemara's that relate to human activity and animals relating to human activity. But not like a leaf that falls by itself. Except that the. Except that the, even the story about the birds, right? Um, we have argued, again, those who argue, that, well, once it's connected to a human being, now it changes. They could argue, why do you have to make that argument? Just say, it's on everything. They know based on what? They know, but, what because the Gemara says that there was a certain bird, and Hashem just said, a basal well, said it's going to die. This, this case about the... But what's their proof for that case? Yeah. That's a good question. That's a good question. Right. The leaf, the leaf on the thing, right? I hear you. I hear you. I hear you. Um, it's a fair point, and again, and it's and it's troublesome because there's so many so many thinkers who came well before them who didn't say it. Yeah. Well, but also, okay, yeah. Um, the they're saying that they're saying they went to the field and they saw the leaves and the worm and all that stuff, but the people benefited from seeing it from still. So still, they like it was still affect nature was still affecting humans. Human being. Yeah, well, a human being. You saw it. Yeah. Correct. Good. So now, so, so, so Yoni, what you're doing for us already is starting for us is bringing us towards a bridge between the two. Okay. And that maybe we see this as radically different 
right, than what we saw last week. This is radically different than the approach of the Rambam and the Ramban, but maybe it's not quite as radically different as we think. Um, just by the way, as in, not an aside, but just before we start to try to bridge that gap, would we said within the Ramban, right, certainly, that the amount of hashkacha, the amount of intervention I get in my life is dependent on me, right? Because I have to make myself that type of person who is, then merits that hashkacha. Would the, this approach agree with that or disagree with that? So you think at first that it might be irrelevant, but is it necessarily irrelevant? Would I do irrelevant? Why is it totally irrelevant? Why? Fine, so that, that's one way to use that hashtag of practice. You're right in this. No, but what you said is an approach in terms of how to use, I mean, how that, how that type of hashtaka and viewing hashtaka that way will impact a person in growth in a vote session. That's correct. The question is what, what could be the argument for that if it happens that way, I still play a role? If it happens no matter what, God controls everything. And how do I still play a role? So the answer is that the Munkach Rebbe also davened. Right? Why? God's just controlling everything? Yeah, but the answer is that God still responds to our. Meaning, if it's a scharva onesh, a word and punishment, then hashkacha will be one way or the other. Right? What type of hashkacha is going to happen? God is not, it doesn't mean hashkacha process on everything, doesn't mean that God has predetermined what's going to happen. Right? What it means is that I, I could, they can still very easily make the argument that my actions and my choices can still impact the way that Hashkacha plays itself, and plays itself out of my life. But, Does that make sense? But Hashem's decision that a morsel of sand right. is there, isn't that superior judgment that somebody else's bakasha that I should have this, that, and the other? No, that's how Tfilo I mean, always like, works. Tfilo, right, I understand that, but like, if I advocate for myself, maybe right. the co-op of a, of a, of a, of a Tfilo could potentially yield an inferior result. Like the, like, the, like the story of the guy who was dominating at the end of his life, and he was still learning, and somebody distracted him for one second, and he got, you know, that, right. that kind of, that level right. of, of intervention may not be the best thing. So, like, it's actually pretty, I think it goes against our own initiative. But why? But why? Because Hashem's initiative, Hashem Kolman, they're up one other than five No, that's, that's a question, no matter how, no matter how you look at Hashem Kapratis, so you always have the question of if Hashem, everything Hashem does is for the good, so why am I dominating? God decide, this person will live, this person will die, this person will not have a this person won't have a partner. The answer is that even though we say everything Hashem does is for the good, right. that Hashem wants, meaning there's different ways to explain this. One, one classical approach to tefillah and how it works, so just to give you one, we can give a different shear on this topic, is, is that one approach that's given by, uh, I think it's Sefer Karim, I think says this, that there's a, there's a decree on me at this, at this place, right? By davening what happens, I will... Raise myself up. So what happens all of a sudden to the degree? It misses me. Right? That Hashem doesn't change, we change. That's one approach. There's multiple approaches. But my point is that even if you believe Hashkacha Pratis in every moment, every fine, but if I change myself and I grow and I learn more and I daven more and I do chesed and I change myself spiritually, so then again, it's, it's still a spiritual right, you know, uh, construct that then will shift based on how I act. Right. But I just want to point that out because the, the Hasidic approach sounds like the whole world is just predetermined. I'm just sitting around. I'm just waiting for the things to fall the way God wants them to. The answer is no. That God is God is just here the whole time and He's constantly shifting and moving even more than we realize it. Um, but still doesn't take away the power of my bechira chafshes, my choice to do things. That's a different question. That's a different question. That's that's a different. That's a different, theolo- that's a different theological quandary. If God knows what I'm going to do, how do I have a choice? That's a separate question. But Jerome, I'm asking, says, I don't know. <laughs> and the Kesem Mishnah says, and the Ravid says, what are you asking questions if you don't know the answers to? This is my favorite. This is my favorite Rambam, Ravid, Kesem Mishnah. The Kesem Mishnah responds, I'll tell you why. 
Because the Rambam knew that someone else was going to have the question, and they weren't going to know the answer, and say, Ay, I have no Amunah. And I, right, the Rambam's going to say, you know what? Actually, it's okay to have questions and no answers. Part of life. So the Mishnah says the Rambam was teaching us that when he asked the question and didn't give the answer. I'm raising for you a lot of questions and not giving you enough answers. So man, I'm trying to do the same thing. Um, but I just, I just wanted to point that out, that this, even, even though we have this approach to Ashkach HaPratis from the Hasidic, and by the way, this is the, this is the approach that has become pervasive in Am Yisrael, certainly in the, in the, in the, in the, in the Orthodox world. Not everybody, but it's, it's become very pervasive, this sense of Hashka, when you say the, just the phrase Hashkach HaPratis to most people, they, a lot of people think of Hashem controls the entire world, every single thing that happens in the world happens from Hashem. They some people are thrown off when they hear about the Ramban. I mean, not everything. The Ramban came first. But, when, but the, but the Baal Shem Tov and, those, and his followers and also the Vilna Gon, even though the Vilna Gon was actually the antagonist of the, of the, of the Baal Shem Tov, um, they, they took this in this direction. So the, the question is, um, then, are these approaches really so very different? Or is there some way to quote, bridge the gap between the two. And I want to offer you three options, three ways that maybe these two approaches are not so different from each other. Okay? Um, first of all, I mean, Lee Witz does this in his, in his Sefer, again, the Sefer Hashkach HaPratis, you can get it on Amazon. Um, I want to go through all of these different approaches and see all the Mamari Chazal, and all the pieces that he, that he pulls. Um, it's like about 150, 60 pages. Um, on these topics. He also has a whole second section on Hashkach HaPratis versus free will. It's a whole different question. Right? Um, if you believe that Hashem decides I'm going to hit in the face, so but that person decided to hit me in the face. So how does that work? Separate question. Um, but he offers three possibilities. And the first thing he points out is that even and we've seen this already last week, that even those who hold their very strong views on Hashkach HaPratis oftentimes contradict themselves. We saw the Ramban last about time, right? Who said that it's only the Hasidim who have Hashkach HaPratis. And then he said, well, actually, everybody kind of is dependent on, depending on their actions, Hashem does something to them. So the Ramchal is the same way. We saw the first source we saw tonight was the Ramchal, right? Moshe Chambat who said, who was the argue, who argued that only human beings have Hashkach HaPratis, nobody else. Take a look at source number eight in Das Tunos, another safer by the Ramchal where he says, he who believes in God's unity and understands its concepts has to believe that God is one, individual, and unique. He has nothing preventing him from doing anything at all, no other source in any way or fashion. Rather, he alone is completely in control. He alone governs all of creation with specific individual divine providence. Nothing in this world is born unless it is a result of his will and handiwork, and nothing is the result of chance, nature, or constellations. What does that sound like? Which approach does that sound like? Sounds like the Bashantov. But I thought the Ramchal is on the other side. So that's point number one. Is that not everybody, it's, it's just, and as we've seen, it's just not that clean. Right? Just, everything's not so compartmentalized so easily. Okay? That's number one. But, so that's just one example. And we saw this in the Ramchal last week also. It's just not that simple. So, is it possible to argue that maybe the Baal Shem Tov, who did know the Rambam and the Ramban, right? not knew them personally, he knew what they said, right? he, he had heard of the Sefer Yikarim, etc. So how does he take this seemingly different approach, or is it really so different? So one argument is to argue that everybody really agrees that only human beings have a Shachar Pratis, right? have specific individual divine providence. But that just, what that means is that it's only, and it may be only these specific people who have, again, some closer connection to Hashem. But what that means by having specific individual divine providence is that you experience it in an overt way. In a way that is, I want to say supernatural, but it's kind of more obvious. Like the guy, right, who had the money in his, the money for the flight, remember the story last time, he had money in his, for the flight in one cupboard, and he had a fire in his house, and the only fire, only place that got burnt was that one cupboard with that, with that money, right? It's like, it's not supernatural, but it's kind of strange, right? But, he, but, but maybe you could argue that everybody else 
does experience Hashkacha Pratis, but how do they experience it? Like the, like the Vilagon said. Like nature. We, it's the experience is more natural. And that even, that even the Ramban would agree that there's Hashkacha Pratis in a natural way on, for every person, no matter who you are, no matter what you've done, no matter how close you are, but that it's, when, it's your, when you're one of the you know, Hasidim, then you get it in a more overt way. And it would explain one line we saw last week in the Ramban. Look at, look at the Ramban in source number nine. The Ramban in source number nine, what did he say? Look at the language. Right? That, that, that nisim, right? Miracles only happen for the great tzadikim or the really, really bad people that Hashem wants to destroy, like Korah, right? So nature takes its course, and if you would stop there, we'd, be, we'd say, okay, we get you, Ramban. And then he says, Tova ora kidarkam uka'alilosam. Good and bad happens then depending on their actions. If you're the Ramban and you told me that only the grace of Tzadikim have Hashkaka Pratis, what's that line? What does that mean? What does that mean that everybody else has good and bad happening depending on their actions? It, it means that everybody does. It's just that Nisim happened to the great, you know, special love in Vavniks. But that everybody has some element of divine providence in their life. Depending, and again, it's, it's dependent on how we, how we act and we're expected to respond. What's fascinating is that we find also, and the, the Malbim says something similar also. Look at source number 8, sorry, source number 10 is the story in, in Rus. What happens in Rus? So Rus you know, comes back with Naomi back to Eretz Yisrael, and she goes back to their, to their community, and she goes out to find food. And where does she happen to end up? The first place she goes. She goes like a pauper to collect. Right? She's with Elimelech. She's living with Elimelech. She's Elimelech's daughter-in-law, ex-daughter-in-law. And it happens to be that the place where she shows up is Boaz, Elimelech's cousin. Says the Malbin. Source number nine. Vayikar mikre. Mikre means something that you, know, you can think of something normal, but it's not. Even though it looked like you know, a, a coincidence. It is a mikre. What kind of mikre? It happens specifically. Right, that mikra, we, we've been using this phrase mikra as happenstance. And the Mahmoud says sometimes the Torah uses the word mikra to mean divinely ordained. When Hashem needs something to happen, so God plays a role in the mikra, in the happenstance, in the seeming coincidence. There's a, there's a person, his name is Lieutenant Birnbaum. He was, a, he was a, uh, a lieutenant in the, in the American military during World War II. And he, used to, he, he liberated the camps. There's a book, there's a book, I think it's an honest book, called Lieutenant Birnbaum. Fascinating story. So he came to speak at Chalvin when, when, uh, when I was a student there. And um, he was already an older, older man, I think he passed away by now. And he used to say, because he told all these stories about his life in the military and how hard it was to keep kosher, and he said, I never believe, he goes, I don't call it coincidence. I call it coincidence. Right? Yud Hey, Hashem, right? So that was like a huge thing. But, it, that, but this, that's, this is Lieutenant Burnham, right? That even the Torah itself, like the Rambam says, when the, when, the, when the Tanakh itself refers to a coincidence, it calls it mikra, meaning that Kadosh Baruch Hu through nature. That's one approach. So one approach is, we really, we're saying the same thing. Everyone's talking the same language. The difference is, Sadiqim get Nisim, like Ramban says, more overt, more, obvi- more obvious, as opposed to regular people who get it through nature, a timing belt, right, uh, or whatever it is. Okay. Approach number two. Approach number two is that maybe by human beings, the Ashkacha is dependent 
on our actions, right? It's dependent on Skarva Onesh. We make certain decisions and then certain things happen because of that. Uh, which, of course, is impossible by non-humans. Right? A dog or a cat or a, or, or a, a blade of grass, it, the way the Hashkacha works for them, even according to the Baal Shem Tov, can't be because of Skarva Onesh. They didn't do anything. Right? The dog doesn't deserve good or bad. The cat doesn't deserve good or bad. It's, it's just going to happen to them. So, but the point is that if you want to argue that the, there was the Ramban, etc., who said Hashkacha Pratis is only for human beings and not for animals, right? Why is that? What are, what are they trying to say? And the, what, they, what they mean is Hashkacha Pratis as a response to something that was done only happens for human beings. Right? They never said, they, and they always talk about it that way. As because of Tawelos, because of they did this, they did good, they did bad, that's impossible to have that conversation about inanimate objects. Or to have that conversation about animals. So some argue that it's the same thing. That the Ramban, that, that the Baal Shem Tov also agrees. Right? And the Ramban also agrees. That human beings have hashkacha practice because of the things that they do. As opposed to animals and animate objects. Which, again, Hashem still controls. But obviously not because of anything that they did. Because that's impossible. But the third approach, it's a little bit different. The third approach argues... And I think this one to me is the, is the I, I think, resonates the best. We kind of touched on this last time a little bit. Is that even if the Ram and the Ramban agree that a non-human, right, uh, animal, uh, an animal object, etc., can have a shakha practice if what? If it impacts a human being. So somebody asked, I think, I think, I think you asked, what, what about the butterfly effect? Right? So the Sanza Rebbe basically argues the butterfly effect and therefore... If you believe in the butterfly effect, meaning that anything that happens to anything, anywhere in the world, eventually has an impact somewhere else. So if, if that's what you believe, then what happens? Then everything becomes a shakapatis. Everything's affecting human beings. Right? If the entire world in some way is affecting a human being somewhere, anything that happens somewhere is eventually getting there. So if that's true, if that's true, then again, playing by the same rules as the Rambam and the Ramban and the, the Seferi Karim, etc., you're always going to come back to what? Yeah, it still has an impact on the, on the human being, and therefore, that was divinely ordained. Right? And the Sanjari basically says that in source number 12. He says, granted that the Ramba, Rambam has a different opinion regarding this, but in truth, according to our sages, even a bird is not trapped with that specific individual divine providence from above. Furthermore, it's known that all of creation is on account of man. Every human being is supposed to see the world created for me. And even if you do not know how or why, nevertheless, it is true for there is nothing extra or unnecessary in creation. And that which appears extra is also for a specific purpose relating to mankind. The Rambam says this uh, at length in the Mornavuchim. He says it about, about the Jewish people. Right? The entire world and all the... You know, I sometimes find myself... Like, I, I like Zeus a lot. I like going to the zoo. My kids don't like it as much as they get older. But I still make them go. And so we'll, we'll go to the zoo and I'll say that some the time. Like, why in the world would Akash Baruch Hu make like 73 different types of owls? Like, who cares? I don't have an answer to that question, but the, uh, there's a reason. There's a reason that he created all... There's, there's no extra. They're not necessary for something. Maybe you don't understand what that is. But there's some purpose to all these species and all the different species of plants. And So the Sans Rebbe is arguing, if you believe it that way, and he's trying to... Again, he's bothered by it, but the Ramam disagrees with me. And he argues the Ram doesn't really disagree with me. Because even the Ram agrees that if, this, if what's happening to the cheetah in the, in the Sahara Desert, and that's, there's no cheetahs in the Sahara Desert, the cheetahs in the, somewhere in the plains in Africa are, uh, you know, is, is, is random. It can't be random. So it must be, it affects a human being. Fine. Yeah. So these people believe that there is nothing that's, there's no <coughs> nature and that... Yes. Like there's blood flowing through your body right now because God's making it flow through your body. No, God is not making me do anything. God did not make me move. But yes, God is, this room is continually recreated every single day. Right? We, we said, every day God recreates the world. That's how the Hasidim understand this. And that God's constantly recreating all the time. And He makes a, constant, makes a, 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 a choice to recreate the world in the same way or in a different way each and every time. It's hard because we can't fathom it that way. We don't see it that way. 
We don't look at it that way. We don't see that happening. So it makes it, it's confusing. And by the way, you, we don't have to, this is just three approaches to try to say they're not arguing. You, you can still say they argue, right? You can still say they argue, and you can still say, I like the Ramban better. I'd rather assume that, you know, not every single, you know, blade of grass, the Ramban said, which could, a simple reading of the Ramban could argue that every blade of grass is not there because God determined it that way. The nature works the way it does because God created it that way. And God decides not to change it. But it, if the blade of grass falls here or there, God doesn't really care. You could say that. That's what the Ramban would argue. Um, you could also argue that no. The Ramban really isn't so different from the, from the Hasidim. But I want to tell you, I want to end this piece with one last uh, point that I thought was very, very meaningful. One of my, one of my, one of my good friends, uh, Rabbi Huda Teretzky, who's a Rabbi in Shalvim, pointed out a very, very nice thing for the Baal Shem Tov. And it relates to this approach that Shachar brought this. Because the, the, the question that happens a lot, right, is that, and this is, you think that this is not related, but you'll see how it's related in a second. Let's say a person is out in the world, and you see something bad happen. Someone does something, something terrible. Uh, they do, uh, they, uh, I don't know, they uh, steal from somebody, some slander somebody, and some embarrasses somebody in public, whatever. You see something horrifying. It's very upsetting to you to see. So how do you respond as a Jew? What's the response of seeing something, someone doing a veira, doing something terrible? So, so one approach is halachic man. A halachic man says, well, what's my obligation? Should I give that person, should I rebuke that person? Should I stand up for the other person? Should I, what, what's my job? What, what's the, what obligation do I have, right? That's one approach. Another approach, which some take, is the argument of, the Raman says about Avis Yisrael, that if I love something, what do I want to do? I want to share with other people, right? So if I love, you know, uh, whatever, person who loves the Knicks wants to bring other people to see the Knicks. You wouldn't love the Knicks, but you know what I'm saying. You want to bring the other people to see. You love something, you want to share it with people. So if I love the Havda, I love the Rebona Shalom, I love Torah, I love Mitzvah, it's amazing, it's what I want to do. I want to show that person, like, come on, it's great. Come to a shear, come to, come, to, come to Shabbos table, right? If I love something, I want to share it with someone. The Ramadan says that's a key of, of, of the Mitzvah of Havda, Recha, Kamocha to share the things you love about Torah with other people. So maybe that person, I, I, I take him under my wing and I, and I explain to him why that's a bad idea. The Badichva Rebbe, what did he do? When he saw something negative, what would he do? He'd find the positive. He'd say, right? right he'd see a, a, a Jew go outside and he's wearing tefillin and he's fixing his, his wagon. Not, not appropriate for the tefillin, right? He'd say, oh, this Jew loves tefillin so much that he even wears tefillin when he fixes his wagon. Right, he sees a Jew smoking on Shabbos. And he say, do you know that's Shabbos? Yes. Do you know, do you know that's us that smoke on Shabbos? Yes. He say, oh, a Jew, even a Jew who smokes on Shabbos can't tell a lie. Right? He would find the positive somewhere. And it's sort of a type of extreme Danikov's list. Vashem Tov said a different thing. He said, if you see something terrible happening, someone doing something negative, you know what the response is? If I saw that, it means that Hashem wanted me to see that. If I saw somebody speaking in a nasty way to somebody else, and I experienced it, and I felt pain watching that, what does that mean? It means that Kodesh was trying to send me a message. I, maybe, I, maybe I need to fix myself a little bit in that area. It's an opportunity for me to learn. I see somebody else doing X or Y or Z, and our initial response is to judge. Our initial response is, gross, I can't believe that. Or, again, this is how it connects. The Baal Shem Tov believes that every single thing that I experience, why am I experiencing it? Hashem wanted me to see it. So if that's true, then what happens? My, my response to what I'm seeing is totally different. Not, you know, tisk tisk, but if I'm experiencing that, it must be that Hashem wanted me to have that experience. And now instead of judging others, even judging them more positively, I spin it to myself. How, do, how am I going to change because of what I just saw and because of what I just experienced? And that approach emanates from the Baal Shem Tov's approach, which says that every experience that I have is being sent to me for a reason. You said, but you're not saying that that thing happened so that you can see it. I'm saying that you're I saying experienced and I it. saw what happened. You wrote, Hashem, how do I deal with the, that every person has free will? Another conversation. But I am, no. 
the Baal Shem Tov would say, I'm experiencing that because Hashem wanted me to experience it. He wanted me to see that. He wanted me to be around something particularly negative, but I could, and I could spin it as, I can't believe what that person did, or I can spin it as, wait a second, if everything in my life is being sent to me, to see, because God wants me to, what is the, how do I interpret that? How do I, how do I spin that into my Avodah Hashem and improve myself based on what I saw? Again, is that, that, that is, side, what? Is that only for side, is According that to Bar definitely not. Because right? Hashem Pratis isn't dependent on being a tzaddik. Hashem Pratis is for everybody. Everybody has a Hashem Pratis. It means everybody's sentences. It means everybody's seeing things. Everybody's having experiences. And we all then are called upon to rise to the challenge. Again, would the Ramban say this answer? Maybe not. Maybe not. Maybe this approach is unique to the Baal Shem Tov. But it's, a, it's, a, it's an approach which he can only say because this is his approach to Hashem Pratis. So at the end of the day, I just want to close it because it's giving up the mark, but I'll say after for more questions. But the bottom line is, like I said, you know, there's a discussion, is there Psaq Halacha in, in Hashkafa? Do you have to pask in one way or the other? I, I, not necessarily. The Rambam himself says no. And that the, the point is, there are differing opinions. And like we said, for some people, this, this approach to Baal is like, one, like the Baal is like mamish every step of the way. And that's great. For some people, that's scary. The, or, harder, or harder, harder to imagine. For the Ramban and the others, it's still, remember, even from the Ramban, God's still around. God's still there every moment. I'm still, and I have a chance to tap in depending on how I, how I live my life. It's my opportunity to create more Hashkah. But according to both of them, God is around. God is involved. And according to, all, to both of them also, I have the opportunity on my own to create more Hashkah in my life. Which is, it doesn't tell me why things happen that we will never know the answer to. Most of Mashiach, maybe we will. But it still provides me a great opportunity to try to find those opportunities to see the Ashkach in my life as best that I can. Okay. Thanks, everybody.